Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Citations Mets fans, welcome to this week's edition of For All You Kids Out There, a Mets Adjacent Baseball Prospectus Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. With me once again this week is Jarrett Seidler. Jarrett, when we last were recording, some two weeks ago now, the Jets were in the middle of a pitched battle with the Los Angeles Rams as they tried to stay... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was two weeks ago. As they tried to stay winless to get the uh, first overall draft pick. But they were, in the end, the Jets. Yes, they, uh, they the won. Back-to-back playoff teams. Two games, <laughs> yes. Um, but if, if there's one positive here, mm. Justin Fields outplayed Trevor Lawrence in the Sugar Bowl. We doing one game. What, what's your what's your take on one game looks? Uh, baseball prospectus senior prospect hey. writer. Hey, you know, Fields is a very good quarterback prospect. Sure. The, the problem is they're entirely capable of screwing this up and, like, taking a right tackle or trading the pick. Of, yeah. yeah, trading the pick for not very much to get more assets and taking a much worse quarterback prospect. Uh, I mean, the, the problem you have... Like, there's a multi-part problem with sticking with Darnold. Mm -hmm. The first and most important part is he's not very good at football. Yeah. But the second part is because he was the third overall pick. He starts to get expensive. His fifth-year option and subsequent extension, if you decide to keep him, is going to be so exorbitantly high. It's the Carson Wentz problem. Right. It's actually cheaper to just cycle him out and... Right. Get in the next high quarterback right. pick. So it's not like not, the not like it was when it was like Sam Bradford and you had we're stuck with him. Right. If if you're not sure he's like at least an above average NFL starting quarterback, which all evidence indicates he's not. You well, I mean, really we talked about this when he was drafted. He was a pretty good quarterback prospect. Yes, but they've completely <laughs> fucked him up. Sure. Yes, he was a very good quarterback prospect. He's also a worse player now than when he was drafted. Yes. <laughs> Don't hire Adam Gase as your as your guru. Mm-hmm. Like, just don't do that. Um, and there's there's good quarterback prospects in the next couple drafts, but Fields is probably better than any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I know a lot of people are on the BYU kid. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean. <sighs> Isn't he probably like 25 because he's a BYU kid? No, he's not 25. Okay. But I I just... I. It's like you're, his... out, you're out thinking yourself here. Right, yeah. Anytime a quarterback prospect is first described with, like, his best attribute is a quick release, <laughs> usually because he's not that good at throwing the ball, mm-hmm. but he gets it out quickly, that's, that's a... That's a red flag if your if your quarterback prospect is yeah. being described as quick release. That's that's a red flag. It usually means he's not that accurate. 
Didn't they say that about the, uh, not like a Rex Grossman thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Who was the Ravens guy before Flacco? That had like a, so they had like a really Kyle Baller. Kyle yeah. Baller, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah strong arm, quick release. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't know where to throw it and isn't accurate when he throws it, but strong arm and quick release, yeah. Right, so correct me when I, if I'm wrong, but like. I haven't watched a lot of football in the last five years, but this was sort of the trend in the game when I was still watching, is that, like, you actually prefer, like, short and medium accuracy and decision-making over, like, the pure arm strength yeah. guys at this point? Yeah, yeah, that, that's been true for quite some time. And it's the bad coaches like Gase that are preferring the arm strength and still making their quarterbacks run, like, ridiculous stick routes that are both, ineffective like you there's situations on which you should be throwing 15 yard out routes yeah. but they're very limited because the risk reward's just not there mm-hmm. um nfl play call it some nfl play callers are still running high risk low reward plays all the time which is just bad yeah um Yeah, I I just I, if you start talking about a quarterback's arm talent and quick release, it means he doesn't know where to throw the ball and doesn't throw it to the right place, and that's a lot of the Zach Wilson draft discourse. This is arm talent and quick release, and that can work out. And Josh Allen was described as as that coming out of the draft, and he's an MVP candidate this year. But more often than not, you take the you guy get Kyle that, Bowler. <laughs> yeah. You take the guy that's been described as one of the best quarterbacks of his age since he was like 14 years old and has dominated a major college level for two years. Like, that's that's what you do. And also has the arm talent, but knows where to, you know, place the ball. But this is like, you know, you could, there's similarities here in how we talk about and how we treat baseball prospects. Too. Sure. I made uh, that point on twitter when like the first actually fields is the better prospect tweet right. started because that just always happens it's a long time until the draft so but like the zach wilson stuff is like you know there are people out there that think that drew waters is like one of the top 15 or 20 prospects in baseball right sure and i understand why they do that uh why, why you'd think that because if you look at everything except for knowing what pitches to swing at, he is. You know, he's got a great swing. He's got every aspect of a great hit tool, except for he doesn't know what pitches to swing at. And up to now, that hasn't been a problem for him. Right. But if you project forward, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be a problem in MLB and we don't know whether he's going to be able to make those adjustments at the MLB level. Whereas Jared Kelnick, sure. who on paper is a fairly similar prospect yeah. to Waters, but we don't really have any questions about his plate approach. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the difference between you know, a top 10 prospect in baseball and a top 50 prospect in baseball. Yep. So that's, you know, that you're kind of looking at that the same way with the quarterback prospects. You know, Zach Wilson has every tool, 
Does he actually know where to throw the ball? Does he have the accuracy? So you're saying he is a Phillies first-round prep bat? (laughs) He might, and that's one of the problems. Right, so there's actual, like, bust potential here. Like, if Lawrence Lawrence is bad, he's probably still an above-average quarterback. Yeah, and if Fields is bad, he's probably a ball average quarterback, but a usable starter. Yeah. Wilson, there's a chance that you're sitting here in two years and drafting another quarterback. Mm-hmm. And there's a chance he's really good to Justin Herbert's an example of this. Justin Herbert was that kind of player and already seems to have made the NFL level adjustment. So it can happen, but when, when you're bowling a number two overall draft pick, you'd, you'd like to have some relative certainty that the, player you draft there is going to be okay especially given how badly the jets have blown every quarterback a... pick in their history <laughs> not even every quick i mean the we've jets... all seen the youtube video right the jets have well the youtube video is old right I know. the jets have picked high over and over and over and over again and most of the players still aren't even on the fucking team anymore right you know Sam Darnold, third overall pick in 2018, probably about to get cut or traded. Jamal Adams, sixth overall pick in 2017, traded. Darren Lee, 20 in 2016, cut. Leonard Williams, six in 2015, traded. Calvin Pryor, 18 in 2014, cut. D. Milner, ninth in 2013, cut. Like, they just haven't... If you're looking back at your last seven years of first-round draft picks, and five of the seven aren't on your team anymore and you kept picking high mm-hmm. this is just this is how you end up being two and 14 <laughs> so i'm assuming I, they're losing this game yeah i think the other thing with with quarterbacks too like herbert and allen were both high draft picks but this is like the prep outfielder thing where if you take a prep outfielder one one or you know first or second overall versus a prep outfielder like seventh overall there's like a different connotation there and what you expect. Right. Washington football team moved on from Dwayne Haskins less than two years after he was drafted, which they were able to do because he was the 15th pick in the draft. If he was the third pick in the draft, they would have kept at it for another year. We should probably talk about baseball at some point here. Right? Yeah, no, this is episode 259 of For All You Kids Out There. And there's not been much baseball over the last couple of weeks because there usually yeah. isn't much baseball news this time of year. But there's a little. We'll start by cleaning up some Mets front office news. Zach Scott, who is also, well, at least interviewed. I don't know if he was a finalist or not for the GM I think spot. It's been, I think it's been strongly hinted he was the runner-up. Sure. And he will be the second in command or at least one of them as he is now the Mets' assistant general manager, moving over from the Red Sox. I guess, I don't know what he's going to do. Obviously, his background is primarily analytics. I don't know if he's going to have, I like... I this is probably an Adam Gutridge replacement. Sure, I don't know if he's going to be, like, as directly involved, or if his responsibility is more hiring out and overseeing the department, and he's going to bring in, a like, a director-level guy below him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I, I don't have strong feelings on this. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't either. I will say that... We we heard Zach Scott talk at Saber 7 yeah. on one year. I think I talked to him for like 30 seconds in the hallway. Sure. Um, you I know, he's have been no other in, experience with Zach Scott. He's a Tom Tippett 
protege. He worked for Diamond Mind. He's been in uh, like major league Tipton. front offices as an analytics. I know Tom a lot better than Zach Scott. Guy for fifteen years at this point. So I guess there's some. I would have some concern that I don't know how up to date he is on sort of like modern modeling and analytics stuff but i also don't know if that matters if he's an assistant general manager level guy you hire people to do that and he's been in analytics departments for 15 years so he probably knows how to hire yeah it's very well regarded within the industry uh this does seem like they're building out more of and we can talk about this in much greater depth a theo epstein tree front (laughs) office which is not the Theo Epstein tree front offices have typically not hired absolutely enormous staffs with like 35 analytics people like right. the Andrew, like the Andrew Friedman front tree front offices have. Um, they've more typically. I mean, so it's one of those things where, you know, you, you know, this happened to Alderson as well, where when he first came in as general manager with the athletics, he was way ahead of the curve on analytics stuff. Like, Theo was with Boston, but then, you know, if you don't continue to move forward, everyone else catches up. Yeah, so Red Sox, if you go back to even the early to mid-2010s, were very well known for a very expansive and cutting-edge analytics department, and that became less true after Epstein left during the Charrington era and especially the Dombrowski era. Mm-hmm. Not that they weren't. They weren't far behind like right. the Mets became, but they weren't great at it either. And that could be due to a lot of things. I don't know how fair. Yeah, but there's a lot of stuff to unpack there too. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, I've talked with, with people in their front office from time to time, and I think they were very cognizant of their home park in terms of developing pitchers, especially and the difficulties therein, And they never quite like got the secret sauce for it, which I think is why they went out and, you know, traded for Chris sale. I mean, any, any team should trade for Chris sale, mind you, but or signed David price. Cause they had difficulties developing those type of pitchers internally. You know, if you're talking about why you would, see him leaving the Red Sox right now. I mean, I assume that Bloom has a different idea of how yeah, he wants Heim, analytics yeah, Heim to work there. Off the Andrew Friedman tree. So you're kind of, it's very different front office philosophy. But you also kind of see where the Red Sox are going mm. and it seems like they're entering a pretty deep rebuild. Mm, although yes. they are come raise north as one of their beat writers suggested this week yeah although they're kind of dancing around that a little bit but you know both the red sox and cubs which if you're if you're a theo epstein tree front office member those would be teams that you would be looking to perhaps go to naturally yeah you know, those are the two teams that the Austin's worked with over the last 18 years. 18, 18. Um, you know, both of those teams look like they're entering very deep rebuilds. Yeah. You know, you look at the, what the Udarvis trade was for. Yeah. And, yeah. 
You know, you look at what Boston's Boston keeps making Boston keeps coming in second a lot of the time. Second to Tommy Canley, as Brady yeah. pointed out, who got like two and four and a half. If you're a longtime Mets fan, you yeah. know what coming in second in every free agent and trade move actually means. Mm-hmm. It means you're trying to come in second. Yeah. Means means you want to be out there telling WEI that you were in on that player to make it seem like you are still competing while you are actually not competing. Uh, let's pull up the Red Sox roster resource page. Yes. This is gonna be uh this is gonna be a trip. Yeah. I think the chicken puppet also pointed out like it's impossible to be the Rays because if you could actually identify pitchers like the Rays, you wouldn't have to be the Rays if you were Boston. But Yeah. And as I pointed out, I don't think the Rays have developed a bat as good as Xander Bogarts since like Evan Longoria, literally, so yeah, the Rays have also gotten very good at sorting out which of their own prospects, although not perfect, as mm-hmm. Jake Cronenworth you know, shows, which of their prospects is going to be good and which isn't, and then using those prospects to overpay for guys on other teams that they think are going to be good. Yeah. Uh, you know, Peter Fairbanks, Nick Anderson. Those trades were both viewed as talent overpays at the time they were made, but mm-hmm. the Rays are going to end up being right on both of those pitchers. And the prospects they traded, you know, Jesus Sanchez did not make the 101 this year, and frankly, he's not a very serious candidate for the 101 this year. I have concerns on... about his hit tool now against Major League Pitching. Right, and that was the carrying tool. Right, yeah. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. You can have the best natural hit tool ability around if you can't figure out what pitches to swing at it doesn't fucking matter the best recent example of this is Luis Urias yeah so this lineup is not bad final one it's not great it's not a bad lineup yeah. uh, Alex Verdugo is Andrew Bogarts Rafael Devers JD Martinez Christian Vasquez hitting fifth to choice uh, Andrew Benintendi Hunter Renfro Bobby Dalbeck Michael Chavez I mean, you have bets in there for Renfro. That's a pretty good lineup. And you can get a first baseman that's better than Bobby Dalbeck. Yeah. Fairly cheaply. I hope so. The bench is Kevin Flowecki, Christian Arroyo. That's where he is now. Yeah, I had a lot of people talk, try to talk me into Arroyo as a 101 guy over the years. Man, I just never saw it. Yeah. Yairo Munoz and Marcus Wilson. Didn't they just outright him? Munoz, not Wilson. Uh, he's still listed. Roster Resource usually updates that stuff uh, pretty quickly. Although his name is in a different color, so maybe they did. Now let's talk about the pitching, Jarrett. Mm. Uh, Nathan Avaldi. Sure. Eduardo Rodriguez, hypothetically. Yeah, I mean... I mean, you know, he literally has myocarditis, so... Yeah, you know, the last health update on him is good, but yeah. again, you're much more worried about his ability to, you know, live a normal life than you are his ability to throw 96 from the left side right now. Uh, Tanner Houck, who was good in a 17-inning stretch in 2020, I'm still not convinced it's actually a starter, but... 
Yeah, it's like a fourth starter setup guy prospect. They're one free agent signing so far of the offseason. Do you know who it is? Uh, I probably should, but I can't remember it. Matt Andriesi. Oh, yeah. From the that was, that was Los Angeles terrible. Angels. Anytime you can pick up a Los Angeles Angels pitcher, you have to do it. And our friend and yours. Like Pavetta. Yeah. It was service time they manipulated last year. Because yeah. that's something you really need to do. I mean, this isn't the... This isn't going to be like one of the five worst teams in baseball. Probably not one of the ten worst. Right, which is a problem. If you're it's also a problem if you're tanking, yes. Yeah. I mean, you can make you can you can make that a you know, you can <laughs> you can bring that thought into the universe by trading Xander Bogarts or you know even Devers at this point probably. Yes, because um, Devers is arbitration eligible, and so it'd be about the time you'd look to trade him mm-hmm. if you were. And shit in that. I'm just saying the Mets need a third baseman. I don't think they actually have the prospects to get Raphael Devers, but something they should probably look into. Yeah, every every team in baseball <laughs> probably should. The Red Sox are not going for it, Jarrett, but the Padres are. Yes. So these are an interesting series of moves. Cause we like to do I don't actually don't like to do them. But people like when I do Mets equivalent trades yes. for these kind of things. Yes. So here's the thing. I can't do a Mets equivalent trade for either Snell or Darvish. Yes. The Mets did not have the prospects to get Snell. They did not. Based on what was traded. I, they, they just did. They don't have a Luis Patino level prospect. Even. I, don't know if they have a I don't know if they have a... Cole Wilcox. I mean, I think Cole Wilcox is better than JT Jen, even when his elbow is still attached. So yeah, but you could you could like wash that out for Matt Allen. If you sure, wanted. sure. Yeah. But yeah, they did. You know, you are talking about to match the Blake Snell package, probably trading San Diego's pick of four or five prospects. Saying San Diego, who do you think are the four best prospects in the system? And right. I'm not actually sure that we'll get it done. Right. I'm not all in on the. Blake Hunt breakout, but right. I'm not so, entirely sure he's significantly worse as a prospect than Francisco Alvarez right now. So, um, so Steve Cohen made a tweet that basically admitted <laughs> that they didn't have the talent to get this trade done. I mean, the Mets list goes up Monday morning. Yeah. We're recording this Sunday afternoon. It is off to the printer, as it were. Um, yeah, so we can actually just talk about it. At yeah, this yeah. Point. it really doesn't matter. You know, we still have Mauricio as the top prospect in the system. Our level of confidence that he is actually better than Matt Allen or Francisco Alvarez at this point is not high. Yeah, because we have very little updated info on Mauricio. He did not play that much this season. It was his age. He he just basically lost his age nineteen season. He mm. did not he did not look great at the alternate side. Uh, the people we talked to weren't worried about how he looked at the alternate side because he was a 19-year-old facing sure. mostly veteran quad-A quality pitching. 
but he did not look great there. And then their instructs were truncated, and he's not playing anywhere this winter, as far as I'm aware. He popped up. He is on the Dominican League team, but he popped up for, like, one game. Okay. Um, he's not seeing... Yeah. There was one prospect... Who, there was one one-on-one prospect whose Dominican Winter League play substantially changed our evaluation. It was Yeah. That was the only one. And we were looking. Everybody else either played pretty close to where we were expecting or didn't play enough to matter. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Pena looked like he's tapped into more of his power. We moved him up like 15 spots on the one-on-one. Based on that, given that he's continued to in the three weeks since we mm-hmm. like soft-locked the one-on-one, if the one-on-one was now, he might have even been 15 or 20 spots higher than that. I would have got far. But, yeah, but he's, you know, Jeremy Pena is, you know, we were the only people that ranked him last year. I don't think we're going to be the only people that ranked him this year. Sure. And you could even uh, say, like, Dominican Winter League is somewhere probably between high A and double A as a yeah. level, is, which is broadly appropriate for where he would have been this year. Maybe a little light, but... Yeah, Reso got one at bat. Yes, one early can struck out. Mm-hmm. So again, not not really showing us anything one way or the other. So he's we basically left him in place. But if there was a major change up or down, we wouldn't have had enough to see it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the same thing with Alvarez, but the buzz was a little more positive on him overall. I guess we talked about the swing change um, yeah. from the. At Mets Farm Report tweet or whatever, but again, I'm not going to... He's clearly trying to gear up for more power, which he was already a power over hit tool guy. Yeah, I don't know if that particular swing change is going to do it. I know they're trying what they're trying to do, they're trying to create more, like, yeah. torque in the swing, but... Yeah. But there's not a lot there one way or the other. The guy that is big up in the system is Alan. Sure, and that's just... We have more, like... It's much... It's much easier right. to tell that kind of thing from the type of scouting teams we're allowed to do this year. Right, I mean, you just get the printout. And pitchers right. are easier in that respect, too. Right. Like, pitchers... I can go and get, like, average and max exit velocity for these guys, but that's not necessarily super instructive. Right. You can, with the video share and the TrackMan data... You can see a lot more with pitchers than on hitters from the type of data and video that was being shared. Some teams aren't aware that national prospect rangers can get that information where they're making on-the-record quotes about their pitchers, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so Matt Allen's track, man, was pointed out, to, and we've mentioned this on the podcast before, by multiple people, multiple times, as extremely good. Um. He is now the number two prospect in the system, I, even though Alvarez is up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, both Alan and Alvarez are on the 101. Yep. Alan yeah. was literally the last cut last yes. year. I have him at Alan Blurb from last year <laughs> that we dumped for... I don't remember right who. Jose Garcia, I think. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't remember. I might like that one back, but so it goes. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, Matt Allen's stock is up. The other guy whose stock is substantially up is Jalen Palmer. Yeah, and that's... I had a... I had a this is like a secondhand scout quote, but so I'm talking about his instructs report. And like, he's like, yeah, he looked really good. Does it get him to a four? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's the 10th best prospect in the system, so there you go. Yeah. I do think yeah. he's a four, but yeah. 
you know, we he, he jumped over Thomas Zapaki, who, again, if Thomas Zapaki was all the way back, he would have been in the majors at some point. Yeah. Like, he, he just, he would have. And, you know, we got the trackman readouts from the alternate site. He wasn't all the way back. <laughs> I saw a quote recently that called his fastball deceptive, and we were calling a dude that used to sit 96 as fastball deceptive. It tells you where the fastball is right now. We, we we know this one. Um, yeah, I, I we really liked Thomas Zapaki. We did. You can listen to that show too from 2016 or whatever. Yeah, but the system gets like really thin, and the, they will in fact acknowledge this. Like the, you could argue the 11th best prospect in the system is Sam McWilliams. I don't actually think it is. I think I pegged but... him at 13th in the write-up. And we wrote him up, which also tells you where the system is. Yeah, but, you know, you got Franklin Colome, who, you know, if you saw Franklin Colome in the majors, he's still flash starting ability at some point, but he's also 25 now, and he still can't throw strikes, and the changeup really still isn't good enough. Yep. So he should probably just be airing it out as a fastball, breaking ball reliever at this point. Mm-hmm. And then you've got international prospects who have not had significant stateside experience. Yet. Yeah. And we're, we're not being blown up coming out of instructs the way that the Padres guys, they traded for you, Darvish, were. Yes. Now, is that because yeah, yeah, yeah. instructs got truncated? Maybe. Is that because something we actually ran into over the course of this uh, project? Yeah. Teams. We're not scouting Southeast Florida instructs as heavily because there's just like not as many down there to warrant them mm-hmm. risking their scouts' health to yep. go watch stuff um, as there was in other clusters, so to speak. So that's a, another hidden downside of the lack of Southeast Florida training sites, etc. Um, was that, you know... For the Palm Beach, St. Lucie, Jupiter cluster, you know, I think it's what five teams down there. Did even like, five? I think it's what is it? Yeah, Houston, I don't, Washington, I, Mets, and Astros. Is there a fifth team? Or sorry, Houston, Washington, Houston, Mets, Washington, and St. Louis, and Miami. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. And I don't believe all of those were open. I have a list somewhere yeah, I have to go back and check. Yeah, but it was not. The Southeast Florida instructs were a lot less heavily scouted from what we can tell than like the Arizona instructs. And but the Mets were also the Mets got truncated because of virus outbreak. So mm. um you know the reports on Robert Dominguez are functionally the Springer reports, right? And the Springer reports on Robert Dominguez were pretty good. He was also throwing in shorts because the <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And he's like twenty, know. so the tricky league reports on him last year were really good too. Uh, yeah, he's a twenty-year-old pitcher who's yet to make his pro debut and sign for ninety grand. So, um, you know, Alexander Ramirez signed for a big bonus last year, two years ago now. It's twenty twenty-one. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> um, twenty nineteen again, yet to make his pro debut. The Mets track record with seven-figure instructs is pretty good recently. It is and it isn't. I mean, it's it's up in this way. It's widely variant. They're it's either on the it. list. They're either on the list in the majors, or you've never heard of them. 
past right, the complex. Relatively, it's pretty good. The Mets have generally done sure. pretty well signing high-ticket IFAs, um, which, you know, that's coming up in 10 days. And, yeah. you know. I don't think they've been linked to anyone. No, they have, they have they, not. They're doing a bonus spreading this year or whatever. Yes, I mean, which... I'm sure they agreed to this however yeah. many years ago, but whatever. Some of this might even have been the Sandy Alderson off front office yeah. the first time. Yeah. But they also haven't been connected to any of the late market comers either. Yeah, at least as of yet. Some of the Cubans that got cleared. And yeah, like it sounds that. like the White Sox are signing several of them. Colossan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this, I, is, I, this is all to say they don't have Ismael Mina and Reginald Preciado to. Right. Now, granted, they have prospects better than that, but based on what the Cubs were trading for, which is a choice. Right. So that, you know, the, the equivalent of the Darvish trade, you know, it's probably something like Wolf, Green, Vientos, and Ginn. And if the. <laughs> I, I know what Mets prospect Twitter would have done if they had <laughs> traded all four of those guys for for 35-year-old Yu Darvish, right? Sure. sure. I mean, people will want nuclear. But like, and I said in the show, it's like, they should probably just do that because the amount of rebuilding they have to do in the system, trading half the top 10 right now isn't going to matter, and most of those guys probably aren't good. And if, you know, I'm going to guess the Cubs were one of the teams that really liked Reginald Preciado. So sure. if that is true... Might not have been Vientos. Might have been Crow Armstrong. You know. Yeah. So again, could the Mets have made that trade? Yeah. Should the Mets have made that trade? Probably. Sure. Uh, but it would have substantially destroyed a weak farm system. Now, I don't know what the fuck the Cubs are doing. That's Actually, a separate that's question. I, know, I mean, you I know, know exactly, exactly what the Cubs, I know are, exactly doing. What the Cubs are doing. Um, yeah, but that's not actually true. I know exactly what the Cubs are doing. And yeah. It sucks, and it's mm-hmm. bad for baseball. And it was eminently foreseeable from the second that that family bought the team, no matter how many right things they said, although they certainly weren't saying them privately, as was shown when their right. emails got leaked. But it was very foreseeable what they were doing, and the fact that they made some head fakes towards spending and winning for a few years in a way that probably tripled the value of the team since they purchased it. It it did not change that. Um, they, They viewed a short period of winning and trying to break the curse as a financial investment, not as something that they were doing for the good of the team or the good of baseball. They were trying to increase their investment. And that's, uh, that mentality is not good for baseball. And not limited to the Cubs. Not limited to the Cubs at all. As you can tell by the sheer volume of free agents that have signed so far this winter. Now, Sugano's going to sign this week because he asked to. Right, so... That was my transition to the Mets and their free agent wheelings and dealings, such as they are. Nothing to speak of. There's been some reporting. Uh, Sugano is in the U.S. probably to yeah. finalize whatever deal he is signing. 
the John, club. Paul, John Paul Morosi reported the Giants, finals. Blue Jays, and Mets. Yeah, uh, there was previous reporting also had, I think, the Red Sox and the Padres in it. Again, yeah. the Red Sox don't really seem to be signing anybody, and the Padres just. But I don't know what Sugano's like. So I don't know if the Mets are going to sign him. Um, there's no track record here of them really being on Pacific Rim players since Kazmat Sui. I have heard a medium amount of unspecific buzz, which literally nobody's been able to get with any specificity. Sure. I, you know, part of that is that it's around the holidays and, you know, people aren't working, people aren't reporting, so it's kind of hard to... You kind of to... need to be connected on the Japanese end for some of this, too. He's yeah. not a level, he's not like an Otani level... It appears the Mets front office is not leaking a lot. And only also that. Very specific people, none of which are, you know. Listen, folks, <laughs> I'm not on a texting basis with Andy Martino. I know that's <laughs> going to shock you. <laughs> not on a texting basis with Andy Martino or Joel Sherman. I am also not, so. So, you know, I... Places I would have been able to get Mets information yeah. in the not too distant past no longer have Mets information. Which again, not, I not sending a group fine. Mets uh, Mets beat yeah. tweet uh, text of you up yeah. <laughs> trying to get some um, Sagano information. So this feels know, there, to me there was there was somebody in the Mets front office during the Brody Van Wagenen era. There are actually two people. There mm-hmm. were two people in the Mets front office during the Brody Van Wagenen era that just like fucking talked to everybody under on the planet mm-hmm. and some of you listening will know who they are. And if you are in it, if you don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't because they're both not with the team anymore. So that, that is all to say that my ability to get secondhand Mets information mm-hmm. has also collapsed with and <laughs> no longer working for the team. My, uh, my, my gut feel here is that he ends up as a blue Jay. Your gut feel, you say. My gut feel. I have, again, I have nothing here. I, I, the Mets could easily outbid any of these teams, I feel like. All right, so there's, but there's... this does feel like, like the Blue Jays have made all this noise about being big players in free agency, and I expect they just end up signing Sugano and coming in second on Springer, and that's it. So, um, the Mets have advantages over the Giants and the Blue Jays, which I think are a little not obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is that the Giants aren't going to be very good for a while. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what. I mean, Sugano asked to be posted. So he obviously wants to come and play in the U.S. Yeah, maybe he wants to play on the West Coast. But if mm-hmm. you really want to play on the West Coast, would his other finalists be Toronto and the Mets? Yeah. I don't know. I think I don't know how many teams are. You know, the Padres might have been interested before they acquired two pitchers. Yeah, the, I mean the Dodgers could always be in play here, but they get slightly more settled rotation. And the Mariners are not a. I, mean, I don't know what the Mariners probably are doing. Closer contending than the Giants are. Yeah, maybe. I mean the Giants were in a playoff spot until the last weekend in 2020. I don't know yeah. if that's sustainable, but I mean if we're just going to run 14 to 16 playoff teams from now on, maybe it is. But and the the secret disadvantage toronto has which no one is a, knows where they're going to play next year yeah. and that causes a lot of problems especially if you know 
Well, this came up with the Rays wanting to split time between Montreal and Tampa in 2028 or whatever. So they'd be like, nobody's going to want to sign there. I mean, nobody signs there now, but like you're going to alienate your players. Right. So you've got issues with, you know, housing. You've got tax issues that pop up with this sort of thing. Um, You've got potential visa issues. It's not great that we're sitting here on January 3rd and we don't know where one of the teams we don't even know in what country one of the teams is going to be playing yeah so you know the Mets don't have the turmoil of an uncertain playing location situation over the next year or possibly two and they don't have you know they're clearly attempting to be good, which it's not clear that the Giants are, so they have some advantages. Um, they the are Mets really East. need another starting pitcher. Yeah. They are on the East Coast. There have been Japanese players who have not wanted to play on the East Coast previously, most notably uh, Otani, but he's not the only one. They don't have a history of play in this market right and that does that does matter to a certain extent but i don't think it because of the the nature of the posting system itself i don't know if it matters much it was a big thing when the white Sox weren't in the ifa market after the bonus skimming stuff they kind of had to really make i don't remember who their first like big signing was it might have been a brayu actually was sort of their signal that they were serious again Yeah, but even just from the perspective of the Mets have not been active in Pacific Rim operations, it's possible they don't have a lot of scouting reports on Sugano. It's possible that they don't have a lot of NPB data. So they may not be willing to spend to the degree that, say, the Giants are just because they don't know as much. Right. That what's, is, what's that your is, confidence interval on the projection for him for the next three years? And that's right. going to make a big difference in terms of what you're willing to pay. Right. So they may not be willing to go the extra step because they may not have the information that's willing to push them in that direction. They may just not have that. These... I, I do think, though, you have to be flexible in that regard where this is like your widget example. There really isn't another Sugano widget there's like I mean more expensive widgets and less expensive widgets that aren't as good, but yeah, you know if you want that sort of like third starter with upside, yeah, like he's pretty much it. I mean, he's really not. You know, Corey Kluber's out there. Masahiro Tanaka's out there. I feel like there's a lot more. I don't know. Jose Quintana's out there. Like he's really not. I know what you mean. I don't right. entirely disagree with that assessment, but I mean, they could have already if they, if they they could have already had Jose Quintana for like two and fourteen if they wanted to, probably. Sure, but these guys aren't signing. Like, sure. There's just there's no there's no urgency in the market at all. <laughs> That's one word for it. Uh, we are six weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting, theoretically. Do you think are pitchers and really? catchers... Yeah, I was going to say, do you think pitchers and catchers actually report February 10th or thereabouts? 
I mean, the league can't stop them, I guess. Yeah. Um, they don't have the cudgel of the national emergency that could allow them to yeah, suspend contracts Yeah, but the players don't force. want to report in mid-February either. That's the part that everybody's missing sure. here. The players do not want to report on this date. I mean, sort of the other argument is you really don't need seven weeks of spring training as an excuse to sell jacked up tickets in the Mesa complex or whatever. But The difference between the player's position and the owner's position, as best as I can tell, is that the players want to play a full season and start a little later and the owners want to play a short season, shortened season and start a little later. Yeah. That's... And I think they're... The player's motivation is to wait until there's less virus out there and they can get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And the owner's motivation is... Here, there's a lot that, of leftover vaccines in New York City right now if they want to. Uh... And the owner's motivation is that they want full crowds in the stands. Yeah. For all games that are played. Mm-hmm. Which means fan vaccination. It means loosening of restrictions on crowds and that sort of stuff um yeah, there will be a new full, full crowd full crowds for those tuesday night games at city in april every year so yeah so they're they're trying to eliminate games that nobody's going to attend anyway mm-hmm. and the players are trying to get games tacked on at the end which also probably really aren't because you know who the fuck's going to an october 20th weekday night game and in fact October 20th is not a weekday night I'm sorry I wasn't <laughs> looking that up but a mid-October weekday night game with three weeks left in the season when your team is out of it and it's 45 degrees out sure nobody but the, pl- the, the players want to be paid yeah. for all those games and the owners don't want to pay them for games in which there are nobody in the stands it's a great system yes great system um you know I do I think – no, I, I do not think that players will be reporting on that day. I Right now, if you had to ask me, I'm guessing that they probably report in mid to late April with a Memorial Day start and – 140 games, something like that. Yeah, something in between a full season and the shortened season that the owners most likely want. Yeah. <sighs> um, you know, I am sure a universal DH will be shoved in there. I mean, after it's tanked the free agent market with its uncertainty, yeah. but yes. Yeah, because those are opposite goals. Yeah. yeah. A I will of, be, uh, a lot of opposite goals here. I, I don't know whether the 2021 seasonal negotiations are going to end up being a larger part of the 2022 and on CBA. Because when the NHL did this, they negotiated a CBA extension as part of it. And that allows both sides to make greater concessions and kind of look at this as a smaller piece in a larger puzzle. But they they need they need to come up with like plans here. Like actual plans. Yeah. I mean they're gonna wait until the last minute because that's Major League Baseball's operating procedure because they see it as negotiating leverage. Yeah. This is the this is the macro equivalent of calling the draftee at four forty five when there's a five PM signing deadline and saying, Here's our offer. Yeah. 
And I mean, that can cut both ways. Scott Boris used to do that too, but yeah, it's well, a little different when you know an entire season. Hmm, how, how do I? Did the Pedro Alvarez thing ever come out? I think it did, right? Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. Like Pedro Alvarez probably did not get his deal done on time, and everybody mm-hmm. just kind of went, "Yeah, yeah. whatever," because it's easier that way. They didn't want to deal with the grievance and impossibly being declared a free agent. And yes, but I I don't. This needed. This needs to get sorted out. Like this should have been sorted out already. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah. Did you were you paying attention in 2020? I know it was a very long year, but Major League Baseball did everything they could to drag their feet in terms of yeah. negotiating the actual season I mean, stuff. You know, it's the Miguel Rojas comment in the annual. Instead yeah. of coming up with procedures to mitigate what very obviously was going to happen in terms of a virus outbreak on a team, they spent a month and a half trying to figure out how to pay the players less. and yeah. didn't even succeed at it. Nope. Probably won't this time either. I I haven't heard less than pro rata this time, yeah. at least. I can't, I can't speak to that not ultimately being the outcome, but I certainly have not heard that this time. All right, let's take a break. We come back. We have a very, very long, not the first half hasn't been long, third half of the show. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back. Now it's time for the third half of the show. Before we do the third half of the show, we do housekeeping. This is for all you kids out there, episode 259. We're getting into Andy Money range, like mid-March. For all you kids out there, it's a Mets-adjacent Baseball Prospectus podcast. You can find us on the internet at baseballprospectus.com. The podcast is on iTunes and various other non-iOS apps. Just search for For All You Kids Out There and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and view the podcast. If you want to get in contact with the show, we're on Twitter at For All You Kids. Share it's on Twitter at J.A. Seiler. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We have a Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash For All You Kids Out There. And you can email the show at allyoukids at baseballperspectives.com. Before we get into the correspondence, the Baseball Prospectus 2021 annual. I think it's available for pre-order, isn't it? It's been available for pre-order. Yeah. For like months. Well, we filed our part of it. I say our part, not Jerry's part, because he had a bunch of other shit, too. Um, but as we do, the 101 is locked and off to the publisher. So we read some comments to promote your purchase of said book. I will start with mine. It is... <laughs> it is... I was 
a little more restrained this year, I feel like. No, a little more. I was a little more restrained this year. I feel like I was a little had more restrained a, this year. Had had at least 15 minutes of conversation with RJ and Craig over what the fuck Q to Q was. That, how can you not? Whatever. That, that's not in this blurb. That's in you used blurb. the wrong ac- acronym, so it was difficult for us to... Uh, Q to Q is the, the whatever. It's actually not the wrong acronym, but we're all we're also not theater. No, it's it's not. It's Q to Q, but yeah. there's no hyphens and oh, whatever. Oh my it God. was difficult to look up. And <sighs> none of us, none of us are theater nerds. So. Ex theater nerd really is what I am. But anyway, this is not the theater nerd comment. This is the film nerd comment. It is number twenty four. Shane Daz, right handed pitcher, Tampa Bay Rays. In Kiss Me Deadly, a rather loose adaptation of one of Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer novels, our hard-boiled detective finds himself caught between a femme fatale and a bunch of hired goons, all searching for a mysterious box that his secretary and occasional lover Velda calls the Great What's-It. Baz is the Great What's-It of this year's prospect list. Since being drafted 12th overall in 2017, he's been used awfully sparingly due to the conservative development proclivities of both the Pirates and Rays. When on the mound, he has routinely hit triple digits with his fastball, and he can unleash a plus-plus slider as well. In Kiss Me Deadly, the mystery box is filled with radioactive material that immolates the femme fatale. In the movie version, the great what's-it is a metaphor for Cold War nihilism. In the prospect blurb version, one supposes it could be a metaphor for Baz's blazing fastball, or the control and command issues that keep him from being higher on the list. After all, any good film critic allows for the possibility of multiple meanings. What do you got for us this week, Jarrett? It is a good comment. Number 36, uh, Garrett Crochet, left-handed pitcher, Chicago White Sox. Tell me if you've read the script before. The White Sox drafted a spindly college lefty with questionable mechanics who throws a huge fastball and a hellacious slider, and then brought him to the majors the same year as a dominant reliever. Crochet has an enormous ceiling as a starting pitcher. If you saw him on the right day as an amateur, he looked like a potential ace but he only made 13 collegiate starts at Tennessee between injuries, uses as a reliever in the pandemic. Chicago brought him straight to the majors for its playoff run. He was sitting 100, touching 102 out of the bullpen, generally looking unhittable, right up until his velocity tanked in the playoffs and he was diagnosed with flexor strain. If this all works out, Crochet could turn into an ace, but there's a ton of bullpen risk evident with his command changeup and arm health. At least the proof of concept for a dominant relief outcome is already there. I'm still not convinced his arm's going to be attached next year. But if it is, it's a very good prospect. If his arm was... Uh, if we were convinced his arm was going to be attached... You would have argued him a lot higher, yes. 20 spots up, so... Yeah. Yeah. I will actually start with the For All You Kids Out There Twitter feed, which I logged into for the first time in, I think, probably like 13 months. Mm-hmm. And happened to catch a uh, Twitter question that had come in the previous day. I did scroll back. There weren't any more. So we're safe from anyone else tweeting questions. I don't, like, I know I say we're on Twitter. I I am logged in now, so I'll see it. But probably not the best way to get in contact with us. This is from at Nick underscore Oldak. Since we don't want Bauer for various reasons, as discussed in the pod, who are some starting pitching trade candidates that would intrigue you? Possibly salary dumps that Sandy has referenced, uh, you Darvish, Grinky, etc. I'm going to be you Darvish now. I mean, Grenke, I mean, I haven't heard much noise there, but I think you're better off looking at, like, the, this is the danger. Jarrett talks about this, like, the mid-tier deals, like Sonny Gray and 
Carlos Carrasco or you know, hypothetically Marco Gonzalez. It's a difficult needle to thread in terms of what you're going to give up because you're paying for the contract and not the player. But Granky is also might not be good anymore. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like a profile where if it goes bad, I feel like it's going to go bad quickly. Sure. Um, you know, last year in Houston, again, it's 12. I mean, he's made 22 starts as a Houston Astro. So the second half of 2019 and 2020. Somewhat arbitrary endpoints here. 129 innings, 3.54 ERA, 119 strikeouts, 18 walks. Home run rate's been eh, roughly about average, I'd say. That's a hell of a pitcher. He's also going to be 37 this year and sits like 88 to 90 now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, also, if you're the... If you're the Astros, it's only like... You're only paying one in 25. Because 10 million is still being paid by the Diamondbacks. You might just run it. Yeah. And say, like, like it's not... They're not in a situation where they have to clear salary. At all. They still might. They still might. But this isn't... They haven't signaled that, I think, to the level that the Cubs have or Cleveland has or some other teams have. I feel like they try to extract more value than just a salary dump here. Yeah. Man, I can't believe the Diamondbacks ate 24 million of this. Yeah. (laughs) This deal to move him for... Oh, is that Bukaskis and Beer? I guess uh, Corbin Martin, too. I mean, mm-hmm. they got decent prospects back, but... Yeah. Not like... That's the other... Like, not like Zach Greinke. Zach Greinke is going to the Hall of Fame. This is a Hall of Fame pitcher. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. Uh, Nick actually has a second question here, too, which is more up your alley, Jared. Non-match question, if you had to pick a few of the highest upside hitters in the 2020 draft, who would they be? With the growing baseball card market, looking to identify under-the-radar buys that could pop in a couple of years, even a Zach Veen non-top five pick would work. Um, Jordan Walker. Jordan. So here I feel, here's the thing. I was having a conversation with, uh, I'll out who it is. I had a conversation with Mike Newman in a Rochester microbrewery five or so years ago when I was up there for... No, it was after I started PP, so like three or four years ago when I was up there for a bowling tournament. Yeah. And this was right after I had ranked... Well, it would have been spring of 2017. I'll tell you exactly. Oh, sorry, spring of 2016. I can tell you exactly when it was. Because it was after I ranked Luis Scarpio and Ali Sanchez on the Mets' top 10 that year. And I noted to him, we were just shooting the shit about prospect writer stuff and they both got baseball card deals like Bowman autograph whatever bloody blahs which you know it's not gonna buy you a house but it's not an insignificant amount of money for those guys given what they're making in the low minors and that's you know I had a hand at that I have the ability to like 
move the baseball card market in some ways. Not in like any major ways and not in ways that I really think about or would impact how I do my job, but Yeah. Um You know, if I go out and tell you that we have Jordan Walker in the top one oh one despite being drafted, you know, we have him ranked as the I don't know, fifteenth best guy in the 2020 draft and he was higher drafted 24th. It might even be higher than that. Yeah, I don't know how many draft guys we ranked this year. I think but... we have 12, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jordan Walker. Um, I did like Owen Casey even before the... 13, 14th, I right. think. I said 15th, so come on. The Padre, even before the Padres traded him, um, it's like a long-term upside play because of the i can't imagine he has any cards but we got really good evan carter in strikes reports we did get really the, good evan carter in strikes reports yes. that the rangers took that literally nobody had ever heard of except for one person who's listening to the podcast right now yeah um so yeah i mean i, I can't imagine evan carter's i mean he might he got a second round pick he might get a card well, he's going to get a card at some point. I can't imagine he has a card now. Um, right. Casey Martin has some upside. Yeah. Uh, if you're going a little further down, probably has more. He has a lot more upside than you'd expect from a third-round college pick who wasn't, like, phenomenally overslot, like Cole Wilcox. I mm-hmm. think everybody knows is a first-round pick. Um, we do have Veen as the top. Uh, we have Veen ahead of Hassel. Yeah. Which we also did before the draft. Um, we really like Nick Bitsko before he blew his shoulder out. Nick Bitsko was gonna be Nick Bitsko was gonna be on the one hundred and one. Right, he said hitters though, not yeah. uh, pitchers. Yeah, um, other hitters. Uh, Petey Halpin. Petey Halpin, yeah. Um, the uh, Kobe Mayo, the third baseman. Uh, yeah, Zach Deloach. Yeah. He's kind of like a somewhat bog standard second round college bat. Uh, I do think there's some outs- upside there. Xavier Warren had some instructs hype, the yeah. uh, Brewers third rounder. Uh, Mason Wynn. I mean, two way guy, so sure, fair enough. Yeah. Mason Wynn. Uh. Yeah, very easy to scan this draft since it's only five rounds. Yes, it's not. uh, But those were guys that we had heard, uh, you know, PCA. Uh, PCA, Werner Blakely in the Angel system. Yeah. Another guy with a little bit of hype. Those were guys that we got better reports out of Instructs on than we did Mm pre-draft for the most part. Uh, I mean, Walker's like, I think, the big top line name there since he made the 101. But yeah. Yeah. I'm Nick York played pretty well after the draft yeah he was a first round yeah i mean i mean it's a first round pick but right. he was a mid first round pick that a lot of people hadn't heard of previously but nick york was pretty good uh yeah we don't have no isaiah green the met second rounder yeah probably fits in here none of this should constitute investment advice nick yeah <laughs> You know, I, this would not be the year if I was, I don't buy prospect baseball cards seriously because it's about as big of a conflict of interest as you could possibly imagine. Sure. Like I can, I can actually invent, I can actually move this market by 
saying stuff. So this would be that I feel that this is unethical. So I don't do it. But I used to before I was involved in this. Although before like this market exploded in the kind of way it does now where, you know, the Bowman Chrome BGS tens of guys that are six years away from the majors can go for many thousands of dollars. I see you, Jason Dominguez, investor. I was going to, I was going to actually like, uh, just roll with like, a who's a, who's a big high upside prospect that probably has a card already. Anyway, the the point while, while you're doing that, the point I'm making, this would not be the year that I would be looking around for instructs reports or off the table kind of information to try and dig things up, right? Like you're not there's there's less information out there. Um, there's less strong information out there. You're probably gonna have a tougher time beating the market this year than you usually would. Just there's there's not there's not a lot. But Jordan Walker's the guy. All that uh, said, Jordan Walker's the answer. Uh, Eric Pena, 2020 Bowman Chrome, Frostlight Autograph, PSA 10, Gem Mint. What's your prediction for how much it's going for? 1200 No, only 400 okay. Is Jason Dominguez really that much not. more? Yeah, maybe yes. it has calmed down a little yes. bit. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, it sure has. Yeah. Oh, my. Uh, let me try. I'm just going to look. Let's look at Marco Luciano. Bet he has a yeah. It's like in the seven to eight hundred range. Yeah. Jason That's Dominguez's just... cards were selling for more than any other prospect in baseball the last time I looked Amazing. at those. What's uh? Let's see what those Kevin Maiton cards are going for right now. Yeah. Not as much as they'll be going for in a year, yeah. or more. Excuse me, more than they'll be going for in a year. Someone's just trying to sell a uh, PSA ten uh, gold refractor autograph for six hundred ninety dollars for Kevin Maiton. Good luck with that. Yeah. Are there any Kevin Maiton believers still out there? I don't think so. It's got to be on somebody's list still, right? I mean, the Angel system isn't as deep as it once was. So. It is not. No. Uh, we do have an email. And it is from JJ Mack. Ask and ye shall receive, I guess. <laughs> Did I not star it? Oh, we have three emails. We have more emails than I thought we were going to have it's gonna be a long segment ah ahoy jeff and jared as requested here is a brief missive to confirm that i remain an avid if not exactly timely given episode 257 released a week ago listener of the program as well as a miserly supporter on patreon thank you for your support we do have a patreon which i never plug on the podcast and probably should um there will be a bonus episode going up this week that i recorded last week and meant to put up last week but yeah, you can see how good we are at this kind of stuff. I confess the level of attention I pay to baseball broadly has waned considerably in the last few years. The byproduct of a reduction in mental bandwidth resulting from making children. I understand that. Starting a business and living off the grid in the woods for a while. I mean, I'm on the grid, but in the woods. In combination with the unrelenting drive of baseball ownership and the MLB powers that beat us not out any semblance of joy and light in my sport of choice. But while that means I have fewer inane questions about marginal Mets prospects with which to trouble you? Where have you gone, Vicente Lupo? I still have 
And so for some reason, I'm a fan of the New York Vets and the outrage you both regularly summon in response to the dire situation facing baseball is one thing that keeps me listening. It is my hope that in a poetical mirror of the previous three decades, the Steve Cohen era of the Mets sees the franchise becoming anomalous in baseball for good reasons, but I'll believe it when I see it, and signing James McCann, Jarrett's lusty defense of which, notwithstanding, has not made me a believer. Keep up the fine works, gents. Excelsior, JJ in Oregon. P.S. Jeffrey's a fellow music nerd parent pushing 40. I encourage you to play Raffi for your child. I don't know that. I thought my own childhood immersion, his ovier, would have scarred me beyond recovery. But I've been surprised by how much I enjoy it myself. The arrangements in particular can be quite interesting. Both my kids love it and his light years better than any other children music I have encountered so far. Um, JD's will come to no surprise to you that I'm playing the kid mostly Mountain Goats music for the most part. TTS, when your kid is a bit older, I also recommend the picture book Queen of the Diamond, the Lizzie Murphy story by Emily Arnold McCulley. My oldest daughter is into baseball as a four-year-old can be, and it's probably 5% due to Mets games always being on in the summer, and 95% due to this book. I will add it to the list. Oh, thank you for that uh, email, JJ. Uh, just, since, since I see I have this power, uh, Calvin Daniel, if you're out there, you can email the show too. Let's get all, let's get all the heavy hitters back. Mm. We also have an email from uh, Matthew. Hey, Jeffrey and Jarrett, just in case. You didn't do this with talking about the trade in the first half of the show. I think I actually did, but I'll spell it out in more detail. What would have been an equivalent Mets package given what the Padres traded for Darvish? I know you always remind listeners that in this type of hypothetical, the Mets would have to beat the Padres package, not just match it. So I guess you can read the questions if I were asking what the Mets would have needed to offer up to beat Preciado, Casey, Mina, and Santana, and Zach Davies. It's impossible to build a similar trade given the state of the Mets system. Thanks as always, Matt. Um, so... You know, they have the high-dollar IFAs they've signed recently. They just haven't popped to the level that Maine and Preciado have. You know, we mentioned Alexander Ribeiro's, Roberto Dominguez, or Robert Dominguez in the first half of the show. Freddy Valdez. Freddy Valdez is also in there. Although, if you read the Freddy Valdez blurb, God bless Ben, trying to parse what information there is. Uh, right field profile comes up a lot for an 18-year-old, but he's a big yeah. boy, which is something we heard when he was signing. So. Mm-hmm. You're probably just not going to get... And, like, look, I don't... I can't tell you for a fact that Ismael Mena is better than Alexander Ramirez. They were both seven-figure IFA outfielders from 2019. But it and sure sounds like it. The Chicago Cubs think that, though, it is, and that's yeah. the important part. Right. Uh, you know, Casey was second round out. Like, I would probably take Casey over Isaiah Green, but I guess you could argue... The opposite, but once you start getting into arguments, it gets difficult. Um, the Yason Santana comp is, funnily enough, uh, Sebastian Espino, who they lost in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. Uh, and Zach Davies is probably just David Peterson. So There you go. Well, now, some quick hits from David. Hey guys, I'm currently spending my New Year's Eve board and socially distanced, so I figure what better time to ask you guys to prognosticate things that probably no one can prognosticate right now. Number one, percent chance the MLB season actually starts on time. We talked about this in AA Slack. Seems like it might be an interesting pod conversation. We touched on it a little bit in the first half of the show. You're going Memorial Day? Yeah, I mean, the percentage chance. Chance it starts so. actually on time, okay. Oh, 30%. Yeah, I think I'm about there. I think it's not impossible that... Yeah. they decide to just it's worth pushing through in April and May because 
So what I didn't say in the first half of the show, I think I did say in AA Slack, is the value of those extra 25 games for the TV contract for a lot of these teams is probably higher than whatever they would have drawn for those April and May games anyway. Yeah. Because they're getting the TV contract for the road games too is the other thing. Yeah. So you have to double count those versus whatever the attendance would be. Two, if they don't start on time, percentage chance they still get a full 162 in and possibly go into November. 50%. Yeah, I'd say about 50-50. I think I... I'll put it this way. I think 162. Chance they play more than 150 games. Yeah, because there's probably going to be a postponement. Yeah, I think they'll try it. I think you could see them negotiate the players be willing to go to like 144, 152 or something like that. 54, yeah. I think that's right. I mean, they might prefer to play a little bit lighter schedule anyway. Three, percentage chance of us finding the playoff structure for the 2021 season, three minutes before the first pitch of the season, like we did in 2020, extremely high. Yeah, a lot higher than it should be. Um, I feel like this is something they'll actually want to work out as part of these negotiations because of the re- their you would think. revenue split. You would think. It's still probably too high, so I'm going to say 33%. Yeah, that's Number four, percentage chance that the world's foremost Buffalo Bills fan, accomplished author, professional pandemic extinguisher, and Italian uncle, Governor Andrew Cuomo, allows fans at the stands in New York ballparks on opening day. I mean, he's got fans at the stands for the Buffalo Bills. Bills, Yeah, yeah, so. Again, much higher than it should be. 90%. Yeah. Number five, percentage chance that teams are scared off by his asking price and Trevor Bauer goes unsigned into the season. I don't think he'll go unsigned. Higher than you'd think. We were talking about this the other day. Uh, I think one-year pillow contract is definitely in play here. Yeah, but I could I could see him getting caught in like the Steven Drew scenario and not signing until. I guess it's like it's like the Alex Cobb scenario now. Yeah, Alex Cobb. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't Dallas think Geiger. that I don't think that's out of play. Sure. I don't think that's likely. But I don't think that's out of play. Like Fifteen percent. Sure, I would say like. 10% that happens, but like 40% he signs for like 1 in 25 somewhere. Yeah. 6% chance Steve Cohen's Twitter goes dark once the season starts. I mean, zero. The poster energy there is off the charts. I keep saying it won't. So. Number 7, a non-percentage question. Was the Viper Randy Orton lighting the fiend Bray Wyatt on fire in the middle of the ring after the Firefly Inferno match at WWE TLC 2020? Tables, ladders, and chairs, exclusively on the WWE Network, the greatest moment in the history of Tropicana Field. I'll hang up and listen. Do we have to bring in a Tropicana Field expert for this, Jarrett? I don't think so. No, God, no. (laughs) You don't think that's a good idea? No. I... I'll take her answer off air, but I guess we have to answer this on air. Um, no. I mean, it's the Dan Johnson, Dan Johnson home run. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Dan Johnson home run. Yeah. yeah. Which is funny. It's just the game that got them into the playoffs, even though the Red Sox should be emulating their consistent success. Yeah. I, I, I actually watched the, the I don't even know why, but, like, I watched, like, 20 minutes of NXT the other week. <laughs> okay. And it's just, like, striking after basically not watching WWE or watching very, very little WWE, including NXT, which I did previously, like, since, like, April. But watching a fair amount of AEW, it's just, like, 
how bad it is in terms of like the weird production ticks that you get used to but are there and it's, it's just like i'd be curious to like throw on a 2003 episode of smackdown or raw and just compare it to the product now i know like visually it'll be probably right, very similar like but aw has more of the wwe production ticks than i would like but they mm-hmm. don't have like the extremely rapid camera cuts and the weird shaky close-ups that's even and... fairly re- i mean it's gotten worse yeah recently. just like and yeah it's just like I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like who's the show even for like i mean 1.7 million people right now <laughs> Yeah, but it's just it's it's like bad and joyless and mm-hmm. I don't know, like there's like I see the Roman Reigns stuff like pops up in like my YouTube feed or my Twitter feed and it seems like it's good, but Yeah, I, also I mean don't yeah. know how I would know. Right. I don't know. Well I guess this is the third half of the show, so you know what that means. It yeah. is the wrestling force of the show. We will start uh, with the death of Brody Lee because that's where we have to start. Oof, this one hit man. me hard, I have to admit. Um, yeah. And it's like not for, I mean, we're about the same age. You know, there's a lot of stuff with his kid and that stuff just hits me, I think, harder than it would have in recent yeah. years. But this is also, I was thinking about it. I think the first like real active wrestler death of sort of the wrestling Twitter era yeah. And you know, I I always enjoyed Brody Lee's work in the Indies, WWE and AEW. I remember watching him on like Dragon Gate USA shows in two thousand eight. I think I probably saw him in Chikara too. And it's just I don't know. It does, I think, put into stark relief, and we can talk about the, the tribute show, which was incredibly well done. Yeah. And you talk about WWE product being like joyless. Yeah. And compare it to what w- uh, what AEW was able to do on Wednesday night. Yeah. Um, and like just understanding. So it's like that show had like an audience of three and it was Brody Lee's family. Right. And, but the ability to actually deliver, and this is the difference between AEW and WWE more broadly, to deliver to the audience what they want and what they need as wrestling fans. Right. It was even, it was even stark with the, you know, WWE. Now, John Huber worked for WWE for eight years as recently as a year ago. Yeah. And was a pretty big and prevalent person yeah. in that company. And his death was actually, like, legitimate national news. Like, mm-hmm. it popped up almost everywhere. I would guess 95% of the people watching Raw on Monday knew about that before yeah. it was even mentioned. And they did a title card. Like, they didn't even do, like, the, you know, the music video like they usually do and, like, AEW did. And Mm -hmm. they didn't, you know, there was no, like, out-of-character discussion of that. Just, like, I know he left on bad terms, but, like, the guy died. It's just, you gotta... See, they don't I'm think sure, they have I'm to sure because they've been the only game in town for so long. They I'm don't, sure like... it was Vince's call. Oh, I'm sure. Um, but you just, you know, it's really just sad. And, you know, you compare it with the AEW one. You know, AEW 
acknowledged that he was in WWE a lot longer than he was. There was probably more WWE-related footage in the video package than did than AEW-related footage, which, if this was the other way around, you know, if, if a wrestler who had been in AEW and came to WWE died nine months later, they would have pretended that his AEW career didn't exist. Yep. Um, they would not have been showing a picture of that person with Cody Rhodes on their television. Yeah. It's just, I don't, I, I don't understand why it's a very, you know, it's 2000, it was 2020, it's 2021 now, but it's just like, it's a very dated concept of what wrestling is and what wrestling should be in. That shows in the viewership, and that shows in what people care about now. But, man, this is just unbelievably sad. Um, you know, it came out that he was in very bad shape for a month and a half to two months. So this wasn't actually a surprise to his family or AEW itself. Uh, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of answers. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. Like, By the way, doesn't... Bruce Mitchell can go fuck himself. Yeah. <laughs> don't care who's listening to that. Don't care who's clipping it. Bruce Mitchell can go fuck himself. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously we're old, old school wrestling forum dudes. So yeah, very, Bruce Mitchell. You know, very... He's been doing this for twenty five years. You fucking know better. Right. Very familiar with Bruce Mitchell's yep. work. Have read Bruce Mitchell's work. Have subscribed to the Torch at Times. Have liked Bruce Mitchell's work. Yeah. You hire this dude, and I'm not reading your shit again. Mm -hmm. Meltzer hires this dude, I'm canceling my Observer subscription. And they're buddies, too, so... I think there's a very good chance that'll happen at some point. Yeah. So, you know... You bring this dude on your podcast, I'm not listening to it. That was that was just... You know, there's no need to do that. It was wildly out of line. There's no... Like, what? I don't... Like, what's the point? Yeah. What's the upside other than tabloid shit and page hits? Right. Gotta do that. You gotta, gotta have some information. You can't yeah, just you gotta have it cold. You can't just make shit up. I think, yeah, this is, you know, he's only a few years older than me. Mm -hmm. um, just a very, you know, obviously he had two small children, young children. Um, just uh, very sad, you know. It's really not a whole lot you can say, you know. We we both, you know, been familiar with Brody Lee's work for a very long time. Probably yeah. you a little bit more than me. You yeah. would have watched more indies. You know, he was more of a Chikara type guy. I think you watched more Chikara than I did. Back yeah, he was day. also. Uh, I mean, he was a Gabe guy, so he was also in a lot of the dra early Dragon Gate USA stuff. Like as Gabe tried to primarily use him as like. Yeah. He was like nine one one type. Right, uh, he was like post ROH Gabe verse. Yeah, because he was uh, a little. He, he wasn't really around. I think literally the first Dragon Gate show I went, Dragon Gate USA show I went to, they had him do like the literally the nine one one run in in ECW arena for something. I think Moxley was involved too, because I think it was like the, during the Moxley Shima Shima feud that was going on that eventually blew off in some sort of big garbagey no DQ brawl, but. All sounds right. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, was obviously one of the best sort of like big man workers, brawlers, 
Never yeah. really got to show it in WWE. Got to show it to like a more limited. I mean, they just didn't have the run in AEW, but the two Cody matches and the Moxley title match were both great. Like, every time he got a chance to showcase what he could actually do, it was excellent. There were times in WWE where it really seemed like he was on the verge of breaking out. The one yeah. I can remember is the Randy Orton Wyatt family yeah. stuff, where the crowd was begging for Harper to be the big face out of this feud, and they just fucking buried him for Orton. Mm-hmm. Like they were. They, Harper Harper was for a brief time in that period one of the most over guys in the yeah. company, and they just did not run with it. He doesn't have Vince's look, so yeah, Vince thought he was a country bumpkin. Which yeah, he's, he's like like a very good promo, the cult he's version like, of Hillbilly Jam or whatever. Yeah, right. He was a very good promo, and that yeah. was not his. Uh... I mean, if you watch, like I watch some being the elite. So that's the other yeah. thing I want to address here, actually, with to sort of put a pin on this segment since we still have to do Wrestle Kingdom. Um, I think there's maybe this idea that he was going to go to AEW and, I don't know, be like one of the top stars. And he certainly might have gotten there and it was at times presented that way. But the thing that I've sort of taken away from the Dark Order storyline, the Dark Order angle in general, and we've, you know, made fun of it at times over the years and it's over the year, I guess. And it's at varying degrees of effectiveness. And I don't know if like from the outside, like the idea that we want uh, Brody Lee to be a star and maybe he never got there in AEW. Maybe he would have. The one thing I sort of taken away from watching a lot of the BTE clips and the, you know, the sort of the, like the genuine outpouring of support from literally all corners of the wrestling industry from anyone that interacted with him. Regardless of that, he really seemed to enjoy going to work every day on his job. Yeah. And maybe that should just be the goal for these guys. And that can't always happen in WWE for various reasons, but he also seemed to have a, and Moxley's talked about this. The Moxley actually talked about this a lot more publicly than Brody Lee did, but the, idea that these guys did not have the artistic freedom within the WWE system. And that was, you know, to kind of do the fun, good stuff that they wanted to do. Cause obviously if you look at the character that Brody Lee was playing in AW, it couldn't have been further away from the character he was playing in WWE. That's not as true for Moxley mm-hmm. he's at the core, but he's also not out there doing the wacky line. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, doing the lunatic fringe. <laughs> you know, he's doing, a, frankly, a much more toned-down version of the same character. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, that's that's part of them finding that, like, is the ability to go out there and be a star in their in ways that feel more natural to them as opposed to... I mean, I think we talked about this sort of at the time when it was happening, the two big AEW debuts in that time period were Brody Lee and Matt Hardy. And it seemed like Matt Hardy was the more logical fit for the... Like, if you'd been drawing it up, Matt Hardy was the more logical fit for the leader of the Dark Order, and Brody Lee might have been more a logical fit for, like, the guy that Cody brings in to reinforce the elite against the inner circle. Right, but clearly like, worked better yeah. the other way around. Yeah. 
So it really was, I think, kind of a, a sort of reversal of expectations that ended up working. Yeah. Just very sad. Um, I don't know what AEW does from here. I don't know how you go back to weekly heavy heat stories for a little while. Yeah. Um, you know, they have some time. Like, Revolution's not going to be until February, so... Right, but... They can be quiet, sort of, on how they ramp stuff up. Um, right. Like, I don't know how you, like... I don't know what you do with the Dark Order like, going forward. Yeah, I don't know how you move on with, like, the Adam Page and the Dark Order storyline. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be a tough needle to thread, because... I don't think you can not acknowledge that this thing happened, but I also don't think you want to bludgeon people over the head with it either. Right. It's a a tough one. It is January 3rd. Uh, Sometime very, very early in the morning. Wrestle Kingdom 15. Live from the Tokyo Dome. I feel no buzz for this whatsoever. I assume I'll watch it at some point this week, but I... It's a weird car. Like, this was right. like... I feel like this was not the year to do two nights again. Yeah. Um, I know they want to keep these shows shorter. Yeah. Especially, I mean... Right. Up until this morning, American time... There was certainly an idea that they weren't going to be able to have fans at these shows. It sounds like they will be, but Japan is very close to going into a full lockdown again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a weird atmosphere. So, And it's also just like, these. this card isn't that good. Yeah, well, let's run it down. Night one, the return of your favorite match, the New Japan Rambo. Yeah, I really like the New Japan Rambo. It's a very, it's usually very entertaining. I'm not sure putting 22 guys in close proximity to each other is like the right kind of feel. Like, I'm not sure you should be doing a battle royal right, right. now. Right, and you know, it's also a match that I think needs that full crowd. Right, to really right, carry yeah. it at times. Right, like part of the fun is like when like Fujiwara comes out yeah. and when like Yuji Nagata just starts eliminating people left and right, and I, I don't know. And it's also not like a full New Japan Rambo. They're just going to the Final Four because it's part of the <laughs> King of Pro Wrestling 2021 Provisional Tournament. And this <laughs> King of Pro Wrestling thing just like flopped like crazy. Like sure. I, they should have just like quietly not done that this year. Sure. Harumu Takahashi versus El Fantasmo for a singles yeah, match. Sh- to determine who will challenge for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship on yeah, night two. I can't imagine Hiromu's not winning this match. So, like, why the fuck is Hiromu still a junior? Like, why are we still doing this? Same reason they kept Osprey a junior for three years too long. Uh, it's just, that's what they do. He he will graduate eventually. I know. Probably, yeah, I mean, this, this should be an incredible match. Yeah, Fantasmo is obviously having a hell of a, on a hell of a run right now. Yeah, um, but again, this is like a match where it should be a really hot opener. Yeah, what's this crowd going to be like? Yeah. What's there's a lot of a lot of weirdness here. 
Dangerous Techers versus Gorillas of Destiny for the IWGP Tag Team Championship. It's just a weird. I think I'm sure the match will be fine. It's a little bit of weird a weird, sti- weird styles clash of tag teams. This, so. is gonna, this is gonna be the three star GOD yep. big match. Yep. It'll be fine. It'll be 13 do. minutes. It'll be good. Yeah. I assume GOD is winning the title. I would match. assume so. Yeah. For the 980th <laughs> time or whatever it is. Uh, Kenta versus Satoshi Kojima singles match for the IWGP United States Championship Challenge Rights Certificate. Obviously, this is a last-minute replacement for Juice Robinson, who got hurt. Yeah. Uh, so I, I can't Ken- even remember the last Kojima like big match that happened. Yeah. It's been a very long time. I'm curious <laughs> to see how... Uh, I assume we still have the usual Bullet Club bullshit, but... Yeah, which... Again, we didn't talk about that in the Hiromo ELP match. Yeah. I guess we can talk about it here. There's potential for there to just be way too much bullet called bullshit on these two shows. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I assume Kenta's winning because I assume Kenta was winning. Yeah. Um, I don't know when they'll actually have feel to get a Moxley match done, but. Kojima, uh, Kojima did wrestle Shingo Takagi at last year's Dominion, although that was a showcase match for Shingo graduating. Yeah. Um, but oof, other than that, he is really yeah. not had. He was in the New Japan Cup, uh, or actually two years ago now. We're talking 2019. Why wouldn't you just throw like Minoru Suzuki in this spot since he again does not have a match? I genuinely don't know. It was a weird choice. I assume he's in the KOPT. Sure. So. Um, but, you know, big New Japan Kojima singles match. I mean, you're. You're scrolling down cage match a lot there. Yeah, I mean, you're going back to his 2017 G1, so you're going back three and a half years, so that's a weird choice. It was very good in that G1. Sure. I mean, he might still be able to have a good 12-minute match. I'm sure he can, but it's a weird, weird choice. Uh, Hiroshi Tana... Actually, I'm curious about something. It's on the top of my head here. Oh, man. I, I, I was wondering, like, how much older is Kojima than... Kenta, but Kojima's actually 50 now. <laughs> yeah. So You forget, like, that big Kojima singles run was in, like, 2004. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus the Great Okan. I got a weird feeling they're gonna squash Tanahashi here. Yeah, for... I think Okan's winning in, like, nine minutes with this move. It'd be a bad decision. Would it? Okan's just Sucks. Yeah, yeah I have no strong feel. I haven't seen enough of Okan to have strong feelings here. But he's he's bad. He's 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 a WWE like Vince special. That's what he is. He's like a big, not really that coordinated like gimmick guy from like 1980. He's, he's like the dude that would come in and have a three-match MSG series with Bob Backlund. <laughs> sure. I mean, Tanahashi can probably do a decent enough Backlund impression in 2021. Yeah, but why are you using Hiroshi Tanahashi in this way? I mean, I, I don't know. Tanahashi is in a weird spot. Yeah. Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay. 
I mean, it should I be mean, really good. Yeah, this should be one of the best matches of the year. The Are Will they... Osprey heel turn. This goes with Okan and it goes mm. with Jeff Cobb. The Will Osprey heel turn feels like it's completely fallen flat. I mean, again, I think it's just the nature of. Yeah, this wasn't the right time to turn guys like yeah. that. They could have just, I don't know, like the evil turn and everything else. They kind of evil turn has been a disaster too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like this wasn't the year to muck about. I think with the right. It's like we greater dynamics have of the organization. Bullet Club bullshit on every single show. Now you're doing the Empire bullshit on top of it, which is the same bullshit. Yes. Uh, I, I, th- I assume Osprey is winning Screwy here. They're, they already did Osprey Screwy in G1. It should actually be Osprey Clean, is what it should be. Yeah. I assume Okada is going over. I would assume so too. Because I think they're probably aligning Okada. I don't think they're pushing Osprey to the yeah. IWGP level yet. I assume this is set up for Okada against whoever comes out from. So here's I'll get so we'll get to the IWGP Heavyweight Championship uh, double titles match: Tetsuya Naito versus Kota Ibushi. The top of the like the IWGP level, especially with Jay White on night two, feels a little stale right now. How many times have Naito and Ibushi wrestled each other in main events or co-main events? <laughs> I mean, they literally wrestled. He did, oh, he didn't actually wrestle each other last year. But So in 2019, when they had that match at MSG, it mm-hmm. already felt stale at that point. Mm-hmm. And now we're I mean, I guess they can do like the one last beat here or whatever with it and go all out. But Naito can't really do that match anymore either. And also, somebody has to come back. Right, <laughs> The next day and work at main event against Jay White, which is a much easier match. Yeah. But, you know, both of these guys are kind of thrashed. Yeah. I would put Ibushi over here, but I suspect it's Naito winning and then losing to White. Yeah. So Ibushi either has to win both matches or has to lose here. Yeah. I think he's actually winning both. That's fine. I mean, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, again. This was supposed to be the big year of Tetsuya Naito, and he had a bunch of bad matches with Evil, and that's about it. Yeah. And he just... Naito looks more done than Tanahashi does. <laughs> yeah. Like physically. Naito looks... Naito just done. Which I'm sure this match is still going to be great. Right. I mean, I think he will pull it all. But... Out for the a dome match with Ibushi, but yeah, these guys are going to do a bunch of really stupid really shit. Dumb like, shit. They, they yeah. just are like you know. I know there were people playing safety police on Twitter. I get it, but you know you're not going to stop them. The safety police routine is not going to work here. No. Takes us to night two. Uh, we have two Stardom exhibition matches: a six woman yeah. tag and. Uh, Mayu Itani tag match as well. Neither of us watch Stardom regularly, and right. these aren't going to be aired anywhere. So The um, four-way match, so the last four people for the provisional for Wrestling 2021 trophy. Right. Sure. So going to be Toriano and Bad Luck Fale and, and Minoru, Suzuki Minoru Suzuki and I don't even know. David Finley. Whatever. Taguchi or something, yeah. Who cares? Uh... <laughs> 
Suzuki Gun, El Desperado, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru versus one or eight Ruskawa oh, Taguchi's already on this card. Rusuke Taguchi and Master Wado for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship. This does not feel like a dumb match. No, but you know. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. I mean, Taguchi and Wado are fun at least. Like that's yeah, fun. It'll be a fun, like a fun twelve minute match. It's like a fun, ridiculous looking veteran and flippy youngster yeah. tag team. Uh, Shingo Takagi versus Jeff Cobb for the Never Openweight Championship. I assume this Cobb's sh- winning the title here. Yeah, this should be a should be great. good 15-minute Haas fight. And... Yeah. Evil versus Sonata. I have no interest in seeing this match. This match is going to be boring and bad. Yeah, it feels cold, too. Like, yeah. Sonata can't pull the... Right, this is supposed to be a big grudge match, but it's not, and yeah. they didn't really build it correctly. This is and... like, this feels to me like the... Uh, that that really bad Survivor Series Edge versus Christian ladder match blow off. Evil's just not working. Uh, yeah, they need to make Evil a bull club random. Mid- Evil needs to be a bad luck follies or all. That's yeah. that's what he is. He's not. I mean, he was fine with what they were doing with him in uh, in Gobernables, but. Yeah, that was not that far off from that role. Sure. He just he can't be a main event play. He it's not working. He doesn't have the charisma. He's not good enough worker. The the gimmick is stale. That's mm-hmm. it, just didn't work. I think Sonata's probably winning after a bunch of bullshit. So I would hope so, but yeah. you know. There's definitely a possibility that Jay White's winning the title in the main event and they're building to Jay White turning. And yeah. evil becoming the leader of Bullet Club. They've been teasing that a lot. Sure. Which, you know, eventually, the long-term plan here is clearly for Jay White to be the top foreign face of the company. Clearly. Right. They've been building to that for a while, and I think it's pretty close. Yeah. So. Uh, Taiji Ishimori versus the winner of Night One's match. Again, should be really good. Interesting this is going on second to last. Yeah. I would almost be interested... In, like, I think a Taiji Ishimori ELP match is almost more interesting. Right. I mean, we've it's seen the... It's going to be and Hiromo's winning the title. But... We've seen the five-star Ishimori-Hiromo yeah. match. And I, I will watch it again. Yeah. Uh, it was one of my favorite matches of the last decade when there was the best Super Junior final, so... Yeah. Uh, Tetsuya Naido or Kota Bushi versus Jay White. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like... We've like blown through this preview in like 15 minutes because that's how interested we are in these matches. Yeah, I, again, I'll watch this. I'm yep. sure it'll be fine, but I, I may or may not watch it live based on how much and when my child wants to sleep the next two nights. Yeah, the Jets just gave up a touchdown reception to Cam Newton. <laughs> and on that note, we'll see you next week. Get one last Jets update in for another edition of For All You Kids Out There. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.